Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And that is where we will be centering our thoughts and our study in uh, this part of our worship. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, this is a strange time to be alive, isn't it? I tell you, I, I, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but sometimes I have preaching nightmares. Uh, nightmares where I'm supposed to preach and I didn't know it and I'm late or uh, I don't have the right clothes or something like, you know, always something where I'm not prepared. But I do think that probably one of my preaching nightmares in the future will be everyone wearing masks. And I have no idea if anybody is happy or sad or, um, you know, it's, it's the same people, but it's a little surreal. Uh, but uh, appreciate you being here. And I know that uh, these, these are not ideal, uh, but I appreciate you guys uh, making the effort. Appreciate the elders uh, for their guidance and wisdom in, uh, in this strange time. I also want to say, you know, there is a lot of uh, unrest, and our brother mentioned as he prayed, uh, our hearts are heavy, and uh, we're concerned about the, the state of our society and our nation. Uh, I want to remind you of something that I think we all assume but may go unsaid, which is that we believe that the source of life and goodness and renewal is God. And because of that, when we gather like this and we study God's Word... We believe it renews and strengthens us. And if we're going to have change as a society and we're going to have growth, it's going to come from God. And so it is a time for us not just to point fingers at other people and what they're doing or should be doing. It is also a time for us to examine ourselves because we know that as we grow and we bless others, we make our world better and that is God at work through us. And so in that vein... I want us to think about some things from Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul does something really brave here. That is, he instructs husbands even though he is not married. And he says, I've got some words for the husbands. And he gets into people's business. He speaks to the real situations of people's lives, the nitty-gritty, and he talks about marriages. And he doesn't have any agenda here other than what he explicitly states. I want for husbands to reflect in their treatment of their wives what they have learned from Jesus on the cross. Now, usually when we approach this passage, at least in my experience, we approach this passage from the perspective of husbands and wives and what verse 22 says about submission of wives. Do wives really have to submit to their husbands? What does it mean to submit? And that's certainly an important discussion, but that's not what we're doing today. Instead, I believe that this text has as its primary focus how husbands treat their wives. In fact, if you just look from verse 22 down to verse 33, that section has about one quarter of it addressed to wives and three quarters addressed to husbands. There is so much more said here to husbands than to wives, and yet Somehow, we usually come out of studies like this saying a lot more to wives than we do to husbands. And I want to try to remedy that this morning. So the question I want to ask is, how do I, as a husband, love like Christ loved the church? And before we dive into that, I want to remind you that there are some things working against us in how we address and apply this text. One of those obstacles that we have is a society that teaches us about marriage, that marriage is about you always being happy and getting what you want from the other person. And if ever they're not offering you what you want and making you happy, you need to find someone else. You need to get out of that marriage. And so, that's not the way Jesus teaches us, but we all kind of like to get things, right? 
And it's nice if our mate gives us the things that we want, so we kind of fall in line with that. And then there is the traditional reaction to that, which is to say, no, the Bible says that wives have to submit, so husbands can basically do whatever they want. And so husbands, Christian husbands, I mean, often become petty tyrants, you know, where we can just decide at the drop of a hat, whatever we want, they have to do it because, I mean, after all, Ephesians 5.22, they have to do what we say. And so they dominate their wives and they boss them around and they ignore them and they complain about them. And then they come back and make demands of them and say, now you do for me. That's not how Jesus loves the church, but it does influence us. And then there is, as a third impact, the way Christians talk about marriage. That is, there are Christian husbands who bemoan the small inconveniences and frustrations of marriage, and they talk about marriage as a restrictive thing. There goes your freedom, they say. And then there are Christian wives who joke about, you know, no man can make me do anything. I don't think so. And so we joke and we banter, and all the while we get a little further from Ephesians 5.25 where we love like Christ loved the church. What I want to do is talk about the better way and think about that for just a few minutes this morning. And yes, I said just a few this morning. So I want to talk about how husbands love their wives. Now, the first thing that I want to do, I want to read through this section and I want to remind you of where it fits in Ephesians because there are some other things that go into how we think about this text. Let's start in verse 21. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The first thing I want to say about this body of verses is that he is teaching us that marriage is a place where we learn and model Christian attitudes. Because the two main commands here, submit given to wives and love given to husbands, have already been addressed. Look in verse 21 again. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So wives submit just like all Christians submit to one another. In fact, if you look carefully at the Greek text, there is no verb in verse 22. It just is a continuation of what's in verse 21. Wives, do to your husbands what everyone is doing to everyone in the Christian community, submitting to one another, which means that we're going to be willing to subordinate our will to other people. And we need that in Christian communities, not just in marriages, but we learn in marriage what we then can practice in the Christian community. How to say, it's okay that I don't get my way because that's not what Christianity is about. It's not about always getting my way. 
But also, when Paul addresses love in verse 25, he is pulling into marriage what he has already addressed back in verse 1. Look back in Ephesians 5 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That phrase is the same as in verse 25, that he loved us and gave himself up for us. Now, that's to all Christians. All Christians love like that, including forgiveness in the context here. So he is saying husbands learn at home in dealing with their wives what they can then apply to their fellow Christians and, in fact, to the broader world. So it should come as no surprise to us that if we fail spectacularly to love and submit in our marriage, that we then really struggle to get along with people in a local church that we then really struggle to get along with people in our workplace or in our families, our broader families. Because what we should have learned and practiced with somebody we truly love and truly are willing to trust and submit to, we cannot practice there, and so we don't learn how to practice it somewhere else. So let's think about, what is he saying then that husbands specifically should do to show love for their wives? The first thing is, husbands love their wives by sacrificing, which I'm going to define as putting her first. Look at verse 25 with me, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the mark of Christ's love in that verse is sacrifice. He loved her and gave himself up for her. But sacrifice here, I want to break us out of some of the mentalities I see us in at times. One is that we think this is just about gifts, that as long as I give my wife gifts, I love her. And while certainly that can be an expression of love, I don't think that's primarily what Paul is saying. Be sure you give her lots of gifts because Jesus gave you a gift. And it's also not just the idea of saying, I do sacrifice for my wife because I go to work every day and I bring home a paycheck. And so that's my sacrifice for her. Certainly that can be a part of sacrifice. But I do believe there is something broader and more expansive, not only in the way we love our wives, but in the way Christ loved the church. It's not just about a one time, I do this one thing for you, now you be satisfied with that. It is instead a mentality that says she is first and I'm going to act to serve her and give up things that are about me in order to make her what she needs to be. It's a new perspective in which I view my wife as more important than myself. So I give my wife my time and energy I give my wife my attention and my devotion. I give my wife my patience and my forgiveness. I give my wife my heart. And as I learn by giving to her that she is more important to me than me, I gain a perspective through which I can serve and learn to serve not just her but others. In fact, I learn at home what I then use in my relationships with others. Paul talks about this, and this is Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. This is the perspective of a servant, but it is, of course, first modeled for us by Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul says, look at Jesus. Look at what he did. Specifically, he says, he was equal with God 
And yet he did not hold on to the status that that meant for him. Instead, he said, I'm willing to let it go. I'm willing to humble myself, empty myself, and to humble myself to become obedient to the point of death. Why did he do it? What was he thinking? Well, that's what Paul is saying. He is thinking that others are more significant than himself, which is amazing because no one is more significant than Jesus. But this is about how Jesus views himself and views our needs. He lowers himself so that our needs come first. Husbands, we need to ask ourselves whether that example has in any way influenced the way we treat our wives. Are we any different when we look at what Jesus has done for us? So when we talk about love in Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. It is no longer about, am I pleased? Am I getting the satisfaction that I need? It is no longer about, what does she offer me? It is instead about, how can I put her first and put myself second? And then, what do I need to give up to make that happen? Sacrifice is the name of the game. All of my choices when I love my wife will be filtered through the question, will this be good for her? Not would I enjoy it, not what do I want. Will this be good for her? And that may mean that I do things that I think I shouldn't have to do. Like I give up my hobby for a day to do something for her. Like I change the way I talk about something to make her more comfortable like I do tasks that I view are distasteful or beneath me. It may not matter to me, but if it matters to her, it matters to me. It may not concern me, but if it concerns her, it concerns me. She becomes first when I love my wife like Jesus loves the church. Second, husbands love their wives by trying to purify them, that is to make her better. I want you to notice how Paul changes metaphors in verse 26. In verse 26, he says that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So now we are talking not about this picture of sacrifice, but instead we are talking about the preparation for a wedding. And Jesus' sacrifice was made with the ultimate good of the bride in mind. He is talking, of course, about Jesus and the church, us. And what Jesus did for us, and he pictures it as a groom preparing his bride for the wedding day. So there is a passage that is sort of the background for this. And I want to show you this. I'm just going to put it on the board. There's more to study in this if you're interested. But it's certainly you'll see the parallels to what we've just read in this text. It's almost off the board here. But Ezekiel 16 and that whole section of Ezekiel 16 describes it as God finding Israel and then preparing her for the wedding. He says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. So I hope you see there's a metaphor here. God is talking about how he took Israel and Israel was nothing. And then God made her something. God made her beautiful. God made her impressive. And he says, that's a lot like 
I found you as a young woman and I cleaned you up and I washed you. And then I put these fine clothes on you and I made you beautiful. And now you're ready to be married to me. There is a preparation there. And I hope you see, especially in the idea of washing and clothing, what we've talked about in Ephesians 5. There is a tenderness in this picture that says, I wanted to do for you something that would make you better, would make you clean. Now in Judaism, this is exactly what would happen. There were washings when the bride was preparing for the ceremony and the bride was then perfumed and anointed and dressed and it was called the sanctification of the bride, which is exactly the word Paul uses there in verse 26, that he might sanctify her. Now, this is then what Jesus has done for us through his sacrifice. He has washed us, he has clothed us, he has removed all the spots and all the wrinkles. He straightened us out, he saw past our flaws, and he made us beautiful when we were not. One man wrote about this passage, it is the love of Christ that makes the bride lovely. So it's not anything innate in us, it was instead what Jesus saw and then what Jesus gave. What's really impressive about that though is that all of these are women's work in the traditional sense, in the ancient explanation. To wash someone, to dress someone, to iron out all the wrinkles, remove all the spots. And yet Jesus did that for us. And so I want to remind you, especially to the husbands here, I want to remind you that roles and the idea that there are men's and women's roles is no excuse to not serve. There is nothing that is beneath Jesus where he says, no, I'm not going to do that. That's women's work. Instead, he has done that for us. And now, verse 28 says, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. So we think the way Jesus thought. We have the goal Jesus had. When we love our wives like Christ loved the church, we want to purify her and make her better. What can I do for her good? Now, I want to be careful here. When I use the words make her better, I am not saying that, Husbands need to browbeat their wives and criticize their wives and say, hey, I'm just trying to make you better, honey. This is like the tender movement where the, the groom brushes something away as he stares at his bride. Not because there is any implicit criticism, but because he wants her to be as beautiful as she can be and as beautiful as he sees her to be. So what does that mean? Well, it may mean Overlooking and ignoring some of the flaws and frustrations that every human being has. That husbands, we will see in our wives. After all, isn't that what Jesus has done for us? He does not say, wait a minute, stop the wedding. I don't like that about you. And so when Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, bearing with one another in love, we can just take that verse and stick it right into our marriages say that we need to bear with one another. To make her better, ask the question, am I helping her? Am I encouraging and strengthening her? Is she better because we are together? Does she know her value to me? Does she know her value to God? Does she know what she does well? Does she know her inner beauty? Can I encourage that? Not just by criticizing something I don't like, but by encouraging all that is good the way Jesus does with his people. To wash clean 
and purify? How can I make her better? Husbands love their wives. Third, by nourishing and cherishing, which is to feed and to take care of her. Look in verse 28 with me. In verse 28, it says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So the idea here, and I want, to, I want you to get this picture, we're going to talk about the two becoming one flesh in a minute, a little further down in the text. But Paul is reasoning from the idea that instead of two people, a husband and a wife, we are one. And if we are one, then loving my wife is loving myself. After all, she is me. We are one. So he says, you should love your wife the way you love yourself. No one ever hated his own body, but he nourishes and cherishes it. How do we treat our bodies? Well, we certainly don't hate them. We don't hurt them, even unintentionally, right? And we certainly don't put ourselves in a position where we continually hurt our bodies. We would say, no, let's, let's find a way to get out of that. So instead, we feed and take care of them because we know they are a part of us. In fact, I would say we are very particular about our bodies. We don't want them to hurt at all if we can help it. So if that is the case, then husbands love their wives by treating their wives in that same nourishing and cherishing way. Every question, every issue is filtered through the lens. How will this provide for her and show care for her? There is a tenderness to this word. Now, the word nourish, I've used the word feed, which is exactly what it means to provide food for someone. Uh, and typically, when we think about, as men, as husbands, when we think about providing food, we mean we go, you know, we go get, bring home the bacon. Uh, but usually this is the idea of preparing food and presenting it, which again, is women's work, traditionally. And yet, nothing about roles here means we don't serve. But this word cherish, I find very interesting. There is a tenderness in it. It is the same word that Paul uses in Thessalonians to talk about a nursing mother caring for her children. That word caring. There is an intimacy to it. And I think, husbands, we need to be aware of the fact that most men are comfortable with being treated a little more coldly and a little more harshly. We're okay with that. It doesn't bother us. But most of the time, our wives are not. And there is a tenderness that we may have to learn. The way we would treat our own bodies is the way we treat them, to take care of them, to nourish them. So Paul is saying, don't try to act as if you are two separate people and that you do for her whatever you feel like she would like. Instead, act as if you're one and treat her the way you treat yourself. So if I love my wife, I will be her protection and I will show my concern for her. And I will be her advocate. And I will be her confidant. And I will be her encourager. And I will be her provider. I'm going to take care of her. And in doing so, I will love her. But there is an intimacy and a tenderness to that. That we need to work toward. Because that is the way Jesus teaches us to love our wives. And the fourth thing I want you to see from this text is the idea of unifying, being one with her. Look in verse 29. He says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, 
And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul says, the remarkable unity is the goal. The two shall become one flesh. And Paul is saying that unity works on two levels. And this is an interesting idea, that it is the goal of Jesus' sacrifice and care for his people so that they would be one. Jesus talks about that himself, that he wants us to be one with him, one with the Father, one with one another. Unity. That's the goal. And in fact, he says directly that this passage that we all think is about marriage is actually about Christ and the church. He says that in verse 32. He says specifically, this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church, that the two become one. So Jesus does everything he does, providing the church not only with the sacrifice to be cleansed, but also with the continual support and nourishing and cherishing that he provides. He does that all so that we could continue to be one. That's the goal. Marriage, then, is reflective of that. Marriage is about becoming one with another person. That's the goal. Be one with her. So verse 31, therefore, this is a quotation from Genesis 2, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The two shall become one flesh. That's not merely sexual. We join lives with another person. We form something new that was not there previously. We become a family. And sometimes there are children as a result of that union. It is a union. We become one. We become different people. And I want you to see that biblically, that is something holy and awesome that happens when two people are married. But that also means that the role distinctions, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, those role distinctions are not about creating two separate groups but are instead about we complement one another and work together rather than separating. We have common goals and common hopes. We are in this together. My favorite way of phrasing this is to say, we are a team. And we're on the same team and we're pulling in the same direction. We are one. So husbands, if you want to love your wives, pursue that unity. Be at peace with your wife. Show patience with your wife. Resolve conflict with your wife. Share your vision and her vision for what your family and your future are going to hold. Listen to her concerns. Share your thoughts and your emotions and your fears and your joys with her. Grow with her. Tackle challenges together with her. And over the years, deepen your romance with her. Be one. Our world is selling us the idea that marriage is unnecessary. That really all we need to do is just live with the person as long as it suits us. And then when we get kind of tired of them and we start to go our separate ways, we'll just hit the road. Marriage, our world says, just causes more pain. So what we do is very often we go through life and go through relationships, living separate lives. I want to do my thing. I don't want to sacrifice my freedom. And we hold back parts of ourselves so that we don't get hurt. But men, it is our duty, it is our privilege to take the lead and to say, we are going to be one. I am all in. This is not about me hedging my bets. 
that maybe this won't work out. We are one. And that's what Jesus has done for us. So be one with your wives. Pursue that unity so that you grow closer and closer together as time goes on in your marriage. Now I want you to notice that nowhere on this list is make her do what you want. That you love your wife by being a benevolent dictator and informing her about all the things that she is not doing that would make you happy. Nowhere here is it be sure your needs are getting met. Nowhere here is the cynical view of marriage that says, you know, it probably won't work. You know, hey, you might as well give up your right to your own freedom. Husbands, Jesus has called us to do something higher than come to marriage as a taker. He has called us to do something higher than getting to boss our wives around. Something higher than whining about how hard it is to be married, how we're not free, how we don't understand them, and how terrible and difficult it all is. Which, by the way, is a lot like complaining about how hard it is to be a Christian. What he has called us to, what he has shown us, is that there is a kind of love that gives and gives and gives and makes the other person better. And that when we give in that sacrificial way, we have truly learned and learned to live his example. Would you pray with me about that? Oh God, our Father, we thank you so much that you have loved us so much. We thank you, Father, for the way that you have sacrificed your Son to cleanse us and to purify us and to make us into what we are not. We thank you, Father, that you have seen the beauty and the good in us when we have seen only the the terrible, tragic mistakes we've made. And we thank you, Father, that you have redeemed us and that you're willing to be in relationship with us even today. We're thankful, Father, that you hear our prayers, that you hear our worship, that you're here with us. And Father, we know that we're undeserving of this. And Father, we pray earnestly that you will help us not only to appreciate what you've done, but that our lives will be transformed because of it. We pray that you'll help us to follow the example of our Savior, to truly lower ourselves and put others above ourselves. Help us, Father, to trust you and to trust this example. And help us, Father, to love as you have loved us. Father, I pray for our husbands and our families. I pray that you will give us a heart to follow Jesus. I pray that you will bless us as we try to give up and sacrifice for one another. I pray, Father, that you will refine in our homes, help us to become the people you want us to be so that we can then share those same values and virtues with those in a local church and with those in our community. And in this way, Father, begin to change this world and to make it more into what you want it to be. Father, we are so thankful that you are patient with us and that you love us so much. And I ask your help, Father, as we try to live your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation. This is the time we have set aside so that if you need to make a statement that we can help you with something or that you need to confess a sin that you want us to pray with you about, or if you're ready to become a disciple of Jesus and to have your sins washed away by being buried with him in baptism, this is the time where you can let us know about that and we can help you to be right with God. If you have any need, we ask that you come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.